I think the earnings season is going to be particularly ugly. I think a lot of expectations are too high for margins and, and, and for, for, or for, for earnings. I think that the strength of the, that we've seen in the dollar is going to come, going to hurt companies that have an international exposure, which is a lot of the big tech stocks. So I think there's going to be, we're going to, we're in a situation where the macro environment's pretty sour, although maybe the bond market's going to stop going down for a few weeks. And, and if we start having uh, tape bombs repeatedly, that, that'll feed on itself. My, my, my belief is it's going to get ugly. Welcome to Wealthion. I'm Wealthion founder Adam Taggart. Thanks for joining us for part two of our interview with analyst and investor Bill Fleckenstein. If you haven't yet watched part one of our discussion with Bill, in which he explains how the unfolding trouble in the bond markets is increasingly wresting control away from the central banks, head over to our channel at youtube.com slash Wealthion and watch it there first. It sets the context for the investment themes we discuss in this video. Bill also shares the strategies that he's using to protect and build his wealth through the rough ride he sees ahead, so be sure to stick around for that. Okay, let's get started watching part two of our interview with Bill Fleckenstein. So it sounds like you're pretty bearish. Um, you've said a couple of times that you, uh, if I got it right here, quote, it's going to get ugly. Um, so I'd love to get a sense, a more clear sense of, of what you think might be in store. As you answer that, let me let me ask this one question. Um, you, last time you were on, we had a fascinating conversation where you described uh, the, the big, the giant mindless robot of, um, you know, passive? passive capital that has been driving the indices up um, as capital has come into the markets just from a mathematical basis. And that's what's been supporting all the fangs and everything like that. And I remember asking you as you described how it works in terms of pushing the, the indices up that I imagine it works the same in reverse, right? And you said, yes, and, and we're not there yet. But what's interesting is, you know, Apple, world's most bulletproof stock, you know, was down 10% in September. Um, and I know it was a big position for me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> on the short side. Uh, on the short side. Well, congratulations. Yeah. Um, so I guess, can you give us an update on, on the, the giant mindless robot? And, and are we approaching potentially, uh, uh, could we be approaching potentially a moment or, or a, a switchover point where it begins to act as a vacuum as opposed to a blower of support into the system? Well, basically everything I know about passive, I learned from Mike Green. So I, I need to state that at the beginning. And so if I say anything that I think he said and I get it wrong, you'll know that it's, I'm doing my best to, 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 to parrot him on this. Um, it doesn't, the on switch works faster and easier than the off switch with, with passive, right? You get your job that, you know, your 401k and you make your selection, but that money's coming in. I, I, I think I understand from Mike that it, to really have it go in reverse, you need layoffs of a, of a significant Yep. Uh, amount. Having said that, uh, you could make an argument that some of the late selling we saw late in the month of September might have been some sort of redemptions. Now, were they redemptions of a passive nature, or they were were they more voluntary? I don't know that we can know. I'm not enough. Ex I'm not an expert, so I don't know. But I think it it'll happen at some point. But I think 
it, to really have it be a, a serious undertow and not just an, an occasional um, event, I think you need a higher level of layoffs. And of course, we've got this low unemployment rate, even with all the mess we've got going on. So again, it's more of this complicated nature of what I said, trying to have an opinion right now is harder than, than it ever was because of all these cross currents. You know, when a fellow that's as accomplished as Stan Druckenmiller is, makes the point sort of repeatedly over the last few times he's discussed stocks and the markets and, and the economy, he said it's very difficult to, to really, you know, see things well and have a firm view. That tells you how tricky it is right now. Um, so back to your question, I, I, I don't know if we're there to the point where passive becomes an undertow. I think it may be a factor, but I'm, I think part of what got the, we were having this big rally today, like as we're speaking, the market's up, what? You know, almost three percent. Almost three percent. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, part of what kicked it off was probably new quarterly flows that hit at a moment in time where the market was depressed from whatever happened at the end of the quarter and guys being set up wrong. And so now you've got the speeding frenzy a, a bit on the upside. Um, so, so I, I, th I think they're still there. It's not. It's not enough to say. You know, I think it, it has to be much more economic damage. I think before passive net selling on a regular basis was something you can count on. I get it. it took me like 10 minutes to get that out. I just found that. <laughs> okay. Um, well, you, you added an interesting um, piece of the puzzle here, which is that um, as you understand it, it it's, it's something that um, uh, let, let's put it this way. It may take, it may take substantial layoffs to really kick it into reverse. And so you're now making me think of it as almost sort of like um uh, we, you know, we have a, our body has an immune system. Uh, it can, it, it you know, our, I think our bodies get cancer multiple times a day, but our immune system is able to recognize the cancerous cell and take care of it. But when we become immunocompromised, then the cancer cells have a much better chance of actually coming in and doing, you know, turning into something really bad. And this sort of sounds like something that's, that's, that's like an analog where it's like, if, if the system starts weakening enough that companies really start suffering, they start laying people off, and that creates, you know, you no longer have the capital inflows coming into these big 401k plans and pensions and stuff like that that's flooding into the system. Then all of a sudden, you've got the ability for the giant robot switch to go the other way, right. and then you all of a sudden have a much bigger problem. Yes, yes. And that'll okay. most likely happen at a time when there's plenty of other problems to go with it. Right, exactly. So, so what, I'm, yeah. what I'm trying to do for, for people watching is to say, I hate to say this, but like as things get worse, expect them to get worse potentially in a cascading manner where yeah, it gets old, bad enough that some other big thing can now yeah, happen. Yeah, it's the old that's... slowly then all at once scenario. Yeah. But, but, be, but, but before we make people walk away, to, you need to be aware that that is a possible outcome. Just like I tried to say, you need to, we need to also be aware that there, I can come up with a scenario whereby the markets can get through the, the period we're headed to for the next couple of months with less damage than we're talking about. I'm prepared to bet on a lot of damage, but as I said, we need, we're talking about possible scenarios that we don't know the answer to, and we each assign our own probability to each outcome, but it's all guesswork. And so, um, it, you know, the, we're, we are not going to get off the hook. The world is not going to get off the hook from all these bad policies with just what we've had so far. But when the punishment gets administered can get spread out. 
you know, can look like, oh my God, now everything's okay. We dodged that bullet. Then boom, they come back and get you again, right? right. And so uh, we're in a period where we could have a little of both. There'd be like a, people think everything's okay and then they get smacked in the face with the shovel again, but. Right. And also what you're saying is, is and hey, you know, we're talking about these terrible things that could happen. They might not. We, we might find a way to somehow skirt around them. So I just want to let the record show you've done a really good job so far in this interview. Well, I think they're going to happen, but but I, but, I, but I think that getting the timing right is difficult. Like, yes, when when I when we were we're still doing the end game, we're just not doing as many of them as we often do, because anyway, Grant's getting his daughter married. But. For, for the first, I asked everybody, what's going to happen with, you know, the whole JGBs and, 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 and the Bank of Japan having monetized the debt and how's that going to play out? And what would happen if they said, you know, we're just going to tear them up? I, th that was sort of the thing. And I've been thinking about that for years and nothing ever happened. And then boom, all of a sudden it happens and mm -hmm. the thing implodes in the space of 90 days or something like that. So you have to be aware of these problems, but you, you you, 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 they only kind of erupt when they erupt and you have to look for what's the catalyst. So I think it's important to keep those things in mind. It's easy for people to default, default to being bullish and, optim, and optimistic that the financial authorities know what they're doing because it seems like that's what happened for a decade, but they don't and bad things are going to happen. So you have to be prepared for that. You just can't let yourself think that simply because you know something bad's going to happen, that you know exactly when it will happen. That's where people make mistakes. They do it on the long side too, but it's it's more, it, 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 you know, you have to be aware that problems have a fuse and you don't always know what it's gonna be. You have to be alert to the fact that it's starting to happen. Right, and, and I've seen when a lot of people, when they finally get their eyes opened to these risks, they all of a sudden get to the point where they're like, okay, well then this is all gonna fall apart tomorrow, right? This is so exactly. interesting. And, and, and your exactly. point is saying, folks, hey, it, this it, it, the, the pathway is still highly uncertain. And so A, you shouldn't put all your eggs on any one particular strategy, but B, you just have to be open-minded. Right, that, you, you have to kind of know, okay, these are the problems I think. I have an idea in my head of how this should play out, but I don't know. I'm looking for catalysts or clues that they're starting to matter. I call it, you know, I have a theory about things. And then I, I look and see if the market's kind of corroborating my theory. It's, it's messier now because of passive and all that stuff. But it's the same idea. You have to know what could, you know, what the problems are, what could go wrong, how, they, how, might, how might they be postponed or the can might get kicked, or, you know, how it might get misinterpreted. Because things take time. I, my other favorite expression that I like to use is, we would have known in the early in the 20s that those of us that don't believe in Santa Claus, I mean, um, that communism was going to fail. And we could have said, you know, hey, the Soviet Union, this can't last. Yeah, it, it couldn't, but it did take about 70 years before it finally fell apart, right? Right. So, I mean, some things are obvious, but getting the timing and when it matters is, is the hard part. All right. Well, um, it, it is. And so we have to be... Um, humble about how we approach all this. Um, that said, we have to figure out how to shepherd our capital through what's going right. on here. Right. So do me a favor then. Can you just give us kind of your general market update here, market outlook here? Um, sounds like you think we are in a, in a legit bear market here that's probably going to get worse. You've got a lot of concerns about the upcoming earnings season. Um, 
tell me what you think, you know, what, what are you playing to right now? Well, if we'd have talked on Thursday and Friday, I would have said things look like it could get, could accelerate to the downside here. Um, and I, I was kind of positioned for that. As I said, I took some stuff off on Friday and I took most of the rest of it off this morning just because I thought, okay, I can see how this might go maybe for three or four days, but three or four days, given how the setup was, could be quite a lurch higher. So um, I, 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 so operating on the short side, I've been more aggressive post-July. I, I didn't do very well capturing the first break because I couldn't figure out how to manage the risk with the passive and all that and the bond market. Anyway, I did much better on this break in terms of getting involved. And uh, I intend to get set up for a problematic earnings season. But, but really, where I think the big money is going to be made is going to be that I think there's going to be a change in leadership. The, the, the era where central banks can take rates to zero and, and, and you get these um, total addressable markets ideas where the market caps get to the moon and there's no profitability, but maybe it will be someday. All the tech and all that kind of stuff that did well in that period, I think it's not going to do so well. I mean, there will be some, of course, but but the things that you need, whether it's fertilizer, natural gas, oil, uranium, precious metals, copper, those kinds of things are what we need where we need more capital to get around the shortages. Obviously, some are more severe than others. A lot of those businesses have reasonable valuations, strong cash flows, dividends, things like that. And so I think we're going to get a leadership change somewhere in this period. If we have a nasty break this fall, which I think is still a high probability event, um, maybe it'll come out of that. I mean, something similar happened after 2000, right? Uh, the value stocks did quite well, even as the rest of the stuff was the high, the high flyers were getting destroyed. I think we could have a period like that. I Every time I examine the problem, I think, okay, if people are going to want to own an asset that's unencumbered it's or not going to cheat them, well, bonds are still a cheat because the coupon doesn't, doesn't get past the inflation rate. You have a credit risk in, in bonds and governments mm -hmm. now, as we've seen. Um, uh, and so I keep, every time I slice it, I keep coming back to the precious metals as being a area that should do well. Now I say that knowing full well that they haven't been very good, mm -hmm. that miners have been, you know, horrible, but, but so have a lot of things that, that's done well. I mean, energy stocks, depending on when you got involved in the last six months or how you traded them, haven't been rewarding. A lot of these assets that are, are businesses that, that are slated to do well, in my opinion, haven't really performed. Nothing's really performed. Value hasn't performed particularly well in this period. But I think that it will. I, I just, I don't see how any, now that we've seen what these central banks are made of, of course, I've came to this conclusion a long time ago. I don't see how anyone can not want to have something that they think is going to be inflation protection. Now, right now, as I said to you already, people seem to think the Fed's going to thread the needle and get this done. I think there's a zero chance of that. Because if they get inflation down enough, the stock market's going to have gone through the floor. Um, and they won't, they won't have that much. They won't be that brave. Um, so uh, I think, you know, uh, I think 
commodities, not the, but but things that we need. Right, essential commodities. Yeah, uh, uh, are, 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 and those businesses, I think, are set to do well as we go through this 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 difficult period. And okay. Those of us. Um. So uh, now there's a lot of um, market and maybe systemic instability, you know, that we're peering at ahead here. Um, I, I don't get the sense that you're saying now's the time where the green light's flashing and and put all your money into these players. Um, if that's wrong, correct me. But my, my guess is, and, and, and please give me your thoughts, is that you're saying um, this is the this is the area to keep your eye on. Yes. Who knows? Maybe even start dollar cost averaging a little yes. bit. But but my, I guess my question is, is do you think there's a chance that everything still might get taken down in the vortex of what's to come? And it's better to sort of wait for for that moment, let the dust settle and then start deploying when when, quote unquote, the bottom for the markets yeah. in general. has Yeah. Come yeah in. Yes to all that. <laughs> no. OK. Uh, it's a great question. It's it, yeah. Now we're talking about the tricky part is deciding on when getting right. It's, it's much easier to figure out what should happen than figuring out when it's going to happen. Yep. So I think people need to have uh, um decided, okay, what areas am I interested in, whether it's uranium or fertilizer, net gas, silver, gold, copper, cobalt, lithium, coal. I mean, I mean, I was looking at uh, Peabody coal. I mean, this Elliot owns, you know, they're the biggest shareholder and they're an activist and the, the coal market perversely looks. Anyway, there's a lot of, I've been trying to look in areas of things that I think are going to be needed. And so I think you need to have an idea of what areas do you think are going to be needed that you understand and find the companies. And then, and, and so it's a theory of mine, right? I have a thesis. This is going to happen. So what I want to see some sign that's starting to. Now, I don't think it can really start to and get legs in a meaningful way that people will believe until we get through the next downdraft. And on the other side, they do better. Now, they could do better even in a downdraft. You know, particularly the precious metals could, um, if if go, if the precious the mining entities could, if the precious metals themselves do well. If, if there's a, a, a crisis trade where everyone's yeah, well, I mean, gold. It's, yeah. this is a theory that hasn't happened. Okay, so it's another theory of mine, and it hasn't happened. <clears throat> uh, I mean, you know, if you, uh, uh, unless your home currency is anything but a dollar, in which case the metals themselves have done quite well for you. Right. Um. Um. So anyway. I think, yes, you have to be flexible to the fact that we don't know the timing. And what I always try to do is when I have these theories or theses about different things, I look to see there's some confirmation that's starting to matter. Part of the problem to these days is the tape has got so much noise in it for so many different reasons. It's hard to tell if actually the collective wisdom of the market is starting to agree with your theory and something new is evolving. And it's often noise and trying to figure out which is legit signal what's just market noise is is difficult but um yeah i i i feel very strongly that on the other side of whatever 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 big bad market weakness might be lurking in front of us on the other side of that these kinds of companies are going to do well you're going to need to understand you're going to need to own the kind of businesses you did in the in the 70s and the early 80s where barriers to entry mattered you needed, you know, you needed a real barrier to entry because you need to have, you know, uh, be able to sustain your profit margins. You want to find businesses that don't have high variable costs, the, the, be the best you can. High fixed cost businesses do better in inflationary periods as long as demand holds up. And they, so, I mean, you have to have a sense of what are the kinds of things you want to see in the companies that you want to have. 
what areas are going to be strong. So the math that worked, or sorry, the psychology and ideas that worked so well for the last 10 or 20 years, I think, are not going to work as well prospectively because the environment is going to be completely different. And it's going to be back to what we saw in the you know, late 60s, 70s, and eventually the early 80s again. All right. Uh, that's fantastic. Um, and, and just to repeat for folks in case they weren't taking notes, you know, barriers to entry, you want companies with high fixed costs, not high variable costs, um, because the latter kills you in an inflationary environment. Um, yeah, assuming right. demand holds up. Right, right. assuming we're not in a depression yeah. and that nobody- That's why I need the barriers of entry. Yeah. Um, all right. And then um, I, I'm just curious if, if you can answer this question, which is, um, are there indicators that you will be looking for that you can share now for when- you think it, 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 they'll give you a sense that, okay, we're getting close to the time to deploy capital in a, in a more robust manner. If the market gets cratered through earnings season, then you can look to the shopping list of kind of companies we're talking about and see how they behave. And if they behave better and do better, that would be a good signal. If we have the other scenario that I outlined, well, maybe it doesn't get cratered and everything kind of percolates and they get, we get through it for some various group of reasons, it'll be harder to tell. Now, you know, if you got, I'll make up an extreme example. If you got the squad and the rest of these ESG nuts who don't know anything about anything stood up and said, hey, we think uranium is the solution. We can't quite get as green as we want, but you know what? Uranium really works. It happens to be true. Um, uh, then that'd be a pretty good signal that maybe it's time to own some uranium stocks. I mean, I just made up an example. Things yeah. are never quite that cut and dried, but sometimes they are, right? And, you know, the fact that, the, that some of the knuckleheads in Europe who made these bad decisions are not turning off their nuclear reactors and Japan's going to do what, what they plan to do. I mean, I don't have a position in any of these companies uh, right now, but I'm just giving that as a pretty obvious example. I mean, yeah. it is... People are finally at least having a discussion of, well, how do we get the energy we need without creating as much pollution as we're concerned about? And of course, uranium ticks the box beautifully. So, yeah, I just did a, a long interview um, with uh, Justin Hewn of Uranium Insider. And if folks okay. want to understand the story behind nuclear, yeah. I'll put up a yeah. link to it here. You can go watch yeah. that. Yeah. Um, builds on everything Bill's, Bill's talking about right yeah. here. So, I mean, I think some, I mean, that ought to be a slam dunk idea. But let me tell you, I owned physical uranium through a fund in 2005 and six and seven, and it was starting to work then. And then, of course, I luckily got out of it before the real estate stuff got too bad. And the point is, that was obvious back then. Now, I had a mentor in the business who's been saying since the 80s, natural gas at three or four dollars at MCF is a layup. It doesn't pollute. We've got it in tremendous abundance. It does, goes into all these natural natural gas is a is a lock long term winner. Well, he was right, except for he's been wrong for 30 years because it hadn't yeah. worked mostly because it's not fungible. Right. We can't. Now people are finding out you can't fix the gas shortage in Europe with gas here because we got to have LNG. Now, well, now we do have LNG. But anyway, so that's another example of sometimes you can find something that seems so obvious, but you have to wait till it looks like it might work. And that's right. the hard part. And so, that may take a lot longer than you can, you know, as remain I've said, some of the examples that I've thought up for why I've been wrong for some things for as long as I have. All right. Well, I hate to do this. It's been great. I got to start winding it down um, real quick. Uh, 
you expect you expect the market to go lower. We're talking about keeping our eyes out for a bottom. Obviously, nobody knows exactly where the bottom is. But but what what is your what is your decades of market expertise tell you in terms of the le- the current level of overvaluation? In other words, what's what's a level of decline here that wouldn't surprise you? I I I, I, I never do that because. It's the, there's human psychology in, involved in all this. So the, the, the you know, people that say the market should trade on this PE, well, I mean, you got to know what the market's going to earn. You got to know what the company's going to earn. What's the PE? What's the bond rate going to be? And is the bond rate down because inflation's down, or is the bond rate down because the economy's at zero? You know. So all I know is you can look at a lot of these companies and say, well, I don't. Are these earnings sustained? Look at how much money they made in 20 and 21. Are those numbers? Uh, um, um, sustainable? Well, if not, so what did they make in 17, 18, and 19? And what kind of margins do they have? Is that more what we're going back to? Or will it be worse now because costs are higher than they were then? So you have to look at it. You, you can't look at absolute terms of saying, well, my target on the S&P is 3,500. I mean, come on, really? It's a market. Yeah. A target on the market? God, yeah. Well, we're, we're a trying to get a company, much less the entire market. Right, right. It's a great point. Um, and of course, at the end of the day, you invest in company. Well, I guess you can buy the yeah. market with index funds, but we are talking about buying good companies. I, what I was trying to get is just a sense of like, you're concerned about how far the general market could fall. And I'm just trying to get a sense for, you know, like, is, is it order enough, of magnitude? Is it a little this? like 5% or are you enough, going for something Enough painful? to scare the crap out of you and make you wish you'd done something defensive if that's how it unfolds. Okay, that's what I was looking for. <laughs> okay, yeah. yeah, great. All right, um, and then uh, Bill Fleckenstein, the investor, not the average person. Um, I'm asking this question too. Is it sounds like because you expect a, a meaningful drop um, before you start going along, will you be shorting? Is is your strategy here in the near term to short? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I uh, I got the I, my most exposure I've had in since. You know, back in eight, uh, wow. I was up to almost 50% short there briefly last week, which God, is- God, sorry to interrupt. I just want to contrast this because it wasn't the last interview, but maybe two ago with you, which was like a year ago. You were like, I haven't shorted in a long time and I'm still not short, right? And and so that has changed pretty dramatically since early, then. It, it, early in July, I decided, okay, I, I made up a whole checklist of things that I needed to do and get to get ready. And uh, I caught the August rally pretty well. I, I I mean, I wasn't super aggressive. I mean, and I didn't get 50% short at the top. I, at the most, I was up to almost 50% counting my puts that had gone in the money and things like that. The, the, I wasn't so much the number, it's just that, that was the most I've, the most, the, 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 the first time I actually worked the problem the way that I used to um, uh, when I was running my short fund for 12 years. Um, and, um, and I intend to get beef back. Despite the rally we're having, my my belief is October is going to be ugly. I, I I let off with the how it could avoid being ugly part because I wanted to make sure that everyone understood how I think you have to look at it. Um, um, and um, so uh, my intention is to get pretty aggressively short. We'll have to see how it plays out. But but I, I you know that does but. We could be in the middle of a decline of some significance for some companies, but if the other ones start doing well, you, you know, you might not have, be able to wait till the coast is clear. I, I don't know how it's going to play out. 
that's why I have the things that I'm looking at. And I don't know what's going to get me off the mark to, to start investing in those other companies. Right now, in terms of longs, the only thing I have are, are, are precious metals mining companies and a couple of other unique ideas that I think are kind of special. But um, so I haven't done anything about that yet. I'm just still thinking about it. I've got groups of names that I've looked at and, you know, what what will exactly it take to, to, to do something? I would love to have the market risk it stripped out. Like, so I'd like to see the earnings problems and everything else cause the market to go down. So I get, we could get that flush behind us. But as I say, maybe they can get off the hook and it won't happen. Right. Right. All right. But I do want to just underscore that um, Bill Fleckenstein, who is one of the more experienced short sellers out there, period, uh, who has been on the sidelines for a number of years, um, is now back in the game. And I'm not encouraging folks to go short. Bill and I have talked in past videos about how going short is much trickier than going long. If you are thinking about doing it, highly recommend you work under the guidance of a professional financial advisor who understands how to short and can advise you and put together you know, some hedges and some safe strategy, safer strategies for you. But it's important, I think, to note that, Bill, you are saying, I know how to play this game. The planets haven't aligned for a long time, but they have now, and I'm now playing it. Yeah, but I'm also cognizant of the fact of how they could get off the hook. And, and that might turn out to be a bad idea to try to do that, to try to be short, you know. So uh, I think most people shouldn't do it because when it's working well, it looks really easy. And it looks really easy about three days before they're going to snap it in your face. <laughs> yeah. So I think that most people shouldn't try. They should just think of, well, maybe I should reduce my long exposure. I have a buddy of mine and uh, he kept bugging me about, okay, why well, I need to hit I, 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 I literally almost had to beat him over the head with a bat to get him to sell his Apple stock, right? He just, oh, I don't want to sell it. I'm not pay the taxes. You know, just tell me how can I, what should I do? Said, what you should do is sell your Apple stock. And, and, and he finally listened, finally did it. But I think sometimes people get, they don't want to sell the companies that they've fallen in love with and they want to do something around that. Sometimes you have to say the, the company you've Falling in love with can't deliver what it did in the past couple of years. It's time to move on. You know, the stocks don't know that you own them. That's a great way to put it. The stocks don't know that you own them. Yeah. And, and look, I, I, I see shorting as a, a, a skill and it's actually a, a pretty, uh, you know, high functioning skill that if you don't have a lot of expertise in, in it, uh, it's like, you know, jumping into an MMA ring with a guy who knows how to fight. It's, 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 it's a, it's a bad thing to assume you can just figure out on the fly. Right. So much I better think, off I to just so. not play the game. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, you, you know, the way you learn is by losing money and you, a lot of, a lot of times you can go to school and other people and learn how to make money on the long side without losing too much. You're going to have to pay a pretty good tuition on the short side. And if you don't, and you get super lucky, then you're really going to be in trouble the next time. Right, right, because you're going to be overconfident, right? Exactly. So, but, but, but I like how the fact that that as expert a short seller you are, you you do you know tell the average person, look, unless you've got a, a, an advantage, you know, you can play to, uh, you know, it's much better just to sort of sidestep what the markets are doing and you know get to safety, whether that's cash or whatever. And if the market corrects, then you've still got all your capital and you can deploy it at better valuations, and, exactly. and that's got a much higher probability of success. Yes. Yes. Yeah. With yeah. Yes. Exactly. 
All right. Well, look, Bill, we're going to have to leave it there. Thank you for giving so much of your time. As always, it's been a just a fantastic and, and really pleasurable conversation with you. Um, for folks that have enjoyed this discussion, maybe weren't as familiar with you as the average viewer um, before this interview who would like to follow you in your work, where can they go? Uh, I have a website. It's FleckensteinCapital.com. I write a column every day about investing and I answer questions. Um, and uh, it's a pay site. It's a $130 a year. So I priced Great it cheaply. Value. I priced it cheaply so that I, I, I felt like I'm not going to do it if people don't want to pay for it. Although all the money goes to charity anyway. But um, uh, but um, I wanted I, I wanted it to be cheap enough that nobody could say I can't afford it. Uh, so anyway. Great. And Great. then, I have right. a, I, then I'm, I'm on Twitter where I pop off about things now and again, but I don't know that anyone's going to really learn all that. And, and what's your Twitter handle? Flatcap. All right, Bill. When we edit this, we'll put up the links to oh, your okay. website and your, your Twitter account okay. as well. Um, all right, Bill. Well, again, thanks so much. Um, it's just been wonderful. Look forward to having you on again. I want to have you back on again, you know, this fall as we get, you know, more, more data points uh, coming out here in terms of exactly the path we're going down so that you can call an audible and anything we've talked about here. I'm sure there'll be a lot of audibles that need to get called for sure. All right. Well, thanks so much again. Okay. All right. Well, now is the time when the program will be bringing the lead partners from New Harbor Financial, one of the endorsed financial advisory firms by Wealthion, to both react to what uh, Bill just said there, but also talk about what the markets have been up to since last week. And they have been up to a lot. So I'm joined, as usual, by John Lodra and Mike Preston. Mike, why don't we start with you? Um, long discussion there with Bill. Really good one on a lot of different topics. Um, let's maybe just sort of, you know, lean into what he thinks is going to happen in the markets and, you know, his recommendations just so we can kind of help people, uh, you know, get oriented around ways in which they can navigate what uh, they think is coming from the big macro arc that Bill laid out there. Um, I did capture a quote of his, though, which is he said, he thinks it's, quote, going to get ugly uh, as we head into earnings season here. Um, so why don't we start from there? Um uh, what do you take away from Bill, and, and do you do you also similarly feel like he does that there's a big shoe that'll be dropping as earnings season arrives? Yeah, Bill talks about what what we, we've all been talking about so many times on these programs. It's it's all about the Fed and what the Fed is doing, and frankly, what the rest of the central banks around the world do because of what the Fed is doing. It's pretty clear that we've exported our policies around the world over the last almost 15 years now. I can't believe it's been almost 15 years since 2008, but that's how long it's been going on. And so we have a, you know, economy that's highly financialized, Bill said, which is, it's, it's true. The economy and the stock market have historically been two different things. But in recent years, particularly the last 10 years, they're more and more the same thing. You know, the, the central bank premise is to drive economic activity uh, but the, 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 they've been doing it by really focusing on the stock market, really managing the economy by the stock market. And I think that's going to be a big problem. And you know, we've created a lot of bad in incentives. Um, you know, basically, you know, Bill talks about how the bond market is in the process of saying that, you know, this game is over. They're taking away the printing press. I say hallelujah, you know, finally, you know, maybe they will not be able to keep printing money forever because clearly it's going to be a problem. We have $31 trillion in debt now in the U.S., a Fed balance sheet at nearly $10 trillion. 
which if you mark to market probably has a $1 trillion loss at, at today's interest rates, which is public money. And I mentioned the incentives a minute ago. There's a lot of malinvestment. There's zombie companies probably totaling close to 20% of companies, uh, maybe even more in Europe. And so what we're seeing here recently is a lot more volatility in the market. We just had two huge up days Monday and Tuesday. We had a kind of a big down day this morning, and then the market rallied all day. Buy the dip is alive and well. There seems to be a cement floor in this market. It seems to be bulletproof, even though we're down 20% from the all-time high on the S&P, roughly. We still remain at valuations that are at the tippy top of the tech bubble and equivalent to what they were at the top in 1929 before the great crash in October 1929. So yeah, Bill thinks that there's a big drop coming. He thinks that earnings are going to be impacted. Earning profit margins of the S&P are close to 12% on all-time high. That really is only because of mammoth government deficit spending. It's, it's, it's not sustainable. Longer term, profit margins are somewhere around 6 to 8%. So if you normalize profit margins or assume that they're going to come back to normal, even 8%, that's a huge drop in earnings, even, giving a con, uh, even given a constant business uh, activity level. So, so many things are, are, are coming to play here and yields are up around 4% for one year U.S. government paper, close to 4% approximately. So there is a real alternative to the stock market now. So having said all of that, to sum it up, it's all about the Fed. Um, more often than not, people still think that this is a buy the dip market. We think that that's going to be a, a mistake. And we think that there is going to be that first elevator drop kind of breaking the market down to the low 3000s, maybe 3200 to 3400 on the S&P. And therefore, the best thing to do is to hold some cash and wait for opportunities to, to buy tactical longs in the market. We will do it in a hedged way and very, very small size to start, uh, but that's where we are today. Okay. All right. Um, a couple of things that you said. One is um, just to make it really clear for folks that that historically, you know, the economy has done what the economy is going to do. And then the stock market basically is a reflection on that, right? The stock market's supposed to be uh, a calculation of future uh, earnings based upon the companies that operate inside the economy. Right. And so, um, you know, the, 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 the growth prospects of the economy were going to determine the future of the markets. But because we've become so hyper financialized over the past couple of decades, um, now what happens in the financial markets actually impacts the economy. And that's very much what Bill and then, then you were just talking about here, Mike. And, and we should probably do a, uh, a video at some point in time, um, you know, with somebody who's, you know, an economist and, and, and really talking about what's a healthier level of financialization um, and, and, and trying to quantify maybe, you know, today's level of financialization and how, 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 how much excess we have that we don't need. Um, because from many viewpoints, including bills here, obviously, um, we've just become way too financialized where um, uh, things that can happen in the, 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 the paper side uh, of, of the markets can actually drive what happens in the real physical parts of the economy, which should not be the way that it happens, folks. I mean, I'm trying to underscore here, this is really kind of not a normal environment that we've 
we've evolved or maybe devolved into. Um, <clears throat> he also mentioned the zombie company. So I just want to flag for folks. Uh, I'm actually doing an interview uh, for next week or a video for next week, um, interviewing uh, a, an expert on the zombie company situation. So we've we've tossed that term around a lot uh, over past weeks and months here on the program. Um, I really wanted to just clarify this whole issue for people. Like what exactly is a zombie company? Uh, how how vulnerable are they right now to the the spike in interest rates? And if they start dying off, what will that actually mean for the economy? So um, if if you if you've chewed on those questions, folks, I hope to have answers for you in that video next week. So stay tuned. Um, and then the last um, bill, you know, says that the central banks are taking the printing press away from uh, this, the, the, the the bond market is taking the printing press away from the central banks. Um, and we've we've literally just seen that happen last week in the UK, uh, where the Bank of England that was, uh, you know, wanted to do quantitative uh, tightening, um, you know, basically had its hopes dashed by a bond market uh, issue, and it had to to step back in. And um, why that's so important is it shows that the bond market is now getting to the point where it can push the central banks around as opposed to vice versa. And um, in the case of, of the UK, they may not be able to get inflation under control in the way that they were planning on tackling that problem. And so the end result may be, and we're still figuring this out in real time, Inflation is going to persist for a lot longer in in the UK because they their hands are now tied, right? And so, if that's what's going on right now, um, you know, Bill thinks that inflation is going to be more stubborn to get under control uh, than Powell and, and his crew at the the Fed are telling us right now. So, you know, John, as I come to you, um, that uh, you know that definitely influences Bill's outlook in terms of what he thinks we should invest in. Um, he thinks that uh, in this current environment, um, unprofitable growth companies are, are going to get hit. He basically sees what he called sort of a change of regime, a change in leadership. Um, uh, he sees essential hard assets uh, increasing in value, and you would sort of expect that in a more stubborn inflationary uh, environment. Um, and then uh, you know, he says, hey, companies with, with fixed costs um, will do better because they're more sheltered from those inflationary elements. Um, costs that have more variable, co companies that have more variable costs are going to be, you know, more vulnerable. Um, of course, he thinks precious metals may finally come into their own too, as people realize that that inflation is not going to get easily contained, uh, and that uh, uh, you know it may finally step into the sunlight as this inflation protector that it it, it sort of hasn't been so far in 2022. Um, so. It's a lot to say, but but do you? What's your reaction to Bill's viewpoint there? Yeah, a couple of things. I I, I did want to uh, just comment on on your last point there. He he did uh, suggest he sees a change in leadership. We do too, and and it it's a change that I think we think is is going to be driven by the wide valuation differentials between the broad market, which is still even after the weakness in the market this year, still trading at valuations uh, that have hardly ever been seen before in history. You talked about the, you and Mike had mentioned the, the relationship between the, the market and the economy and, and the tenuous relationship at best. Um, there's no better way to see that than in the real data. If you look at, for example, uh, market cap to GDP, uh, famed Warren Buffett's favorite single indicator. Look at that, where that is right now. Wilshire 5000 uh, market cap to GDP, 
it's right around 150% of GDP right now. So ratio of market value over GDP. Uh, it got as high as 200%, which is uh, by far an all-time record uh, at the end of last year. But guess where it was at the very tippity top of the tech bubble, which was uh, then the biggest bubble of all time. It was right where it is right now. So even with the, the weakness in the market so far, the stock market is still a fantasy land relative to the underlying economic picture. Uh, the translation to that, there's still plenty of justification for lots of more downside in the stock market. Um, and, and, you know, uh, doesn't have to necessarily affect the economy, even though it likely will, because we have become so financialized and there has been such a misallocation of capital and such a psychological um, addiction, frankly, uh, which was fr frankly the Fed's intention in, in in quantitative easing. They wanted to get people to take more risk, feel the pain of not taking more risk. And um, this is what's been wrought. Um, but back to the comment about the leadership, uh, natural resource stocks, he talked about natural resource stocks, fertilizer stocks, oil stocks, precious and base metal stocks. These are all classes of stocks that relatively speaking are, are tremendous values relative to the broadly, grossly overvalued uh, stock market. So we agree. And, and not only are they good valuations, but they're real things. They're things that are needed for um, economic functioning. And, and there's inherent value in there that you can't find in a tech company that has negative earnings. That's just a idea. That's not a cash flow generator yet anyway. So, so we agree with him. Um, I did want to comment, you know, Bill does talk about his, you know, kind of style of investing and which oftentimes does include taking short positions against against the broad market. He mentioned that after a long time, I think the last time you interviewed him several months ago, he was re reluctant to go short because of how, you know, um, manipulated to the high side markets have become. But he mentioned he was up to 50% short uh, as recently as last week, which has served him well this year, but he's not not that position anymore. Uh, but he, 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 he acknowledges that it's a little bit of an unknown what's going to happen over the next several months. We could see some, some further strength in the market, but he still puts a high probability on uh, this bounce we've seen in the last couple of days as being short-lived and just a classic short-term bear market rally. And he puts a high probability, high probability event, he, in his words, that uh, we're going to see new lows in this market before we see uh, fresh new highs. So that's very much in line with our our thinking and and our 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 positioning, frankly. Okay, and you know, so the day we're talking or the week we're talking on here, been a very interesting week um, because um, markets, you know, continued to um, you know fall weaken through the end of September, uh, and then this week started the first week of the new quarter. And we just had a face ripper of a rally on Monday and Tuesday. Um, most of the major indices up six percent or so. Um, uh, you know, some silver was up eight percent, I think, alone on Monday. Um, I mean, just some amazing uh, moves to the upside there. Uh, had created a lot of chatter of, well, you know, it was the bottom in, and, and we just did a a live video a few hours ago um, for the wealthy and audience uh, on that. Um, Bill obviously wouldn't wouldn't say so. Um, and when I asked him, he said, yeah, I think we're we're in sort of a, a you know classic bear market here. And um, uh, you know, it, understandably, uh, people's emotions, you know, can get the better of them when prices are moving in in big directions in a really short period of time. 
Um, and I know that there are some people um, who probably called you and said, hey, you know, is, is this the time to start putting capital back into the market? Is this the bounce off the bottom? You have a chart, um, I think, that just makes a, a great case for why you have to be so careful of the siren songs uh, that, that oftentimes accompany these rallies um, in a bear market, um, because basically that's the job of a bear market is, is as it's on its long trajectory of grinding downwards, it has these big rallies and their job is to just suck every, suck in everybody who's been on the sidelines and then dash their hopes again. Um, so you want to speak to that chart? Yeah, the chart, Adam, and unfortunately, I don't have it right at my fingertips now, but I remember the gist of it. I'm sure you'll, you'll flash up on the screen here because we provided it to you. But it basically shows um, that uh, the the biggest uh, rallies, uh, uh, if, you, if, you, if you group um, days in the market to bull market and bear market periods, there are actually a higher percentage of bear market um, uh, days in, in, uh, that are uh, strong moves higher in the market than during a bull market, which basically is just to say that some of the largest rallies actually come in bear market phases. Okay, it just speaks to the, the very uh, whippy and very large, uh, unpredictable moves that that are um, are uh, you know uh, present in, in typical bear markets, uh, and 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 the the double problem with those is it it sucks people into thinking things are okay even when the storm clouds are showing and the cracks are starting to 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 show um these these large one day two day three day rallies can give the um appearance of everything's fixed and trap people into those bear market regimes to the point where they ride them down to the bottom and then out of disgust out of fear of things going to zero jump out at exactly the wrong time uh, yeah, so I mean, a, a great takeaway from all that, John, is as, as, as we have often encouraged folks is, um, you know, as a regular investor, don't obsess over the tape. Um, oftentimes, the tape is going to send you, uh, you know, either signals that are going to drive your emotions, and we know emotional decision making almost always doesn't work to your long term advantage. Um, but also, uh, you know, on our our live uh, Q and A that we had earlier today. Uh, I saw a user a viewer or two saying, um, man, there's absolutely no fundamental reason why the market should have jumped like this. I just say these markets are driving me crazy. And, and the important thing to know is on any given day, um, there's a number of things that could be driving the price action, most of which might be totally invisible to you, right? Sometimes the market just gets so oversold, it hits a point where reflexively, it has to move in the other direction, even if fundamentally and every other bit of logic, you know, screams that it shouldn't. Um, you just have these, you know, natural market forces that have their own calculus. Um, so you really shouldn't be reading too much into any, you know, sh extremely short-term action in the tape. Um, and like I said earlier, it's just going to grind you down emotionally. The, the much more important thing, as we always remind people to do, is come up with your plan. You know, base your plan on sound data. Uh, and and stick to it, you know, unless the data in which you have the plan based on uh, is evolving. Uh, but if it's not, you know, focus on other things in life and don't let the the, the up and downs of the market um, grind you down, especially in a highly volatile, highly uncertain market like like we have right now. Um, so, Mike, coming coming back to you, um, I, I I know that over the past, you know, 
couple weeks, month or two, um, where we had, you know, markets grind down for the first half of the year. We then had a big rally going into the summer, which then got dashed. Um, now we're having this kind of turbulent chop that it is weighing on investors' psyche and that um, you guys are talking to people, both clients and leads, um, who are just sort of showing the signs almost of like PTSD uh, in, in, you know, trying to just navigate what's going on here. Um, it's funny, I, I can't remember if it was you guys or, or a different advisor, but I've definitely been hearing that, you know, people whose portfolios are down a couple of percentage points um, are hitting the, you know, eject button of, I just don't want to be in the markets anymore. I got to get out. And, and while that might be the right decision for that person, if that's, you know, their, their, their particular level of risk tolerance, um, it's interesting because a couple of points down, you know, in the markets this year is a phenomenally good <laughs> performance relative to how uh, the, the major indices have done relative to how the traditional 60-40 portfolio is done. Um, so it's so interesting that, uh, you know, even in turbulent times like this, even if people are relatively outperforming very well, um, it can even get to those people. So I guess where I'm going with this, it's a long-winded way of saying the, the more that we enter into um, a bear market, I think the more frazzled people get kind of even no matter how they're allocated. And I got to imagine that just finding ways to kind of keep your head um, maintain your composure. And again, like I said earlier, sort of stick to your plan um, versus getting whipsawed by all the uncertainty and all the stress. That's got to be a pretty key success metric to be able to, to navigate all this and come out on the other side all right. Now you're in the thick of this on a day-to-day -day basis. So what would you add to that? I would say that this is a very, very emotional market. It's hard to measure such a thing, but it, it probably is the most emotional market anyone has ever seen. You know, the problem with these vertical bounces that happen with great frequency in this particular bear market that started back in December or January is that there's been very little impetus to get out. It's been somewhat of a controlled drop. And just when you might start to notice it or hear it on the news that the market's down a bunch, boom, we get like a 6% rally like we had in the last couple of days. So it feels like there's very little penalty for not acting. Um, a few months ago, I might say, or maybe even three or four months ago, very few people even notice that the market is down. I think it's becoming a little bit more um, well-known. Bill mentioned in his, in his video or in his interview with you that the average person is a little more aware of the macro, maybe not the stock market, but they're starting to see some of the news, like the Bank of England news that you mentioned the other day, their capitulation and bailout of pensions and things like that. And they've opened but, up enough monthly statements that have been down, down, where they're like, okay, something's not completely right here. Yeah, so almost like they can sense a trend, yet there hasn't been any real impetus that it's because we haven't seen that kind of elevator drop moment. I mean, most bear markets have three distinct elevator drops. You know, one that knocks maybe you know, a big chunk off and, and more than we've already seen, maybe maybe knocks 30% off and then a basing period. And then another big chunk comes off. And by the end of that, uh, that second drop, people will start to be paralyzed. And then the third big drop, they panic. You know, I don't think we've even seen the completion of the first big drop yet. And, and even those people starting to wake up to the macro, you know, there really is no 
no fear. And as I said earlier, the problem with these vertical bounces is they, they continue to make you feel like it's going to be okay. That's why they're so vertical. And I just lay the blame on that at, at, at our central banking policies. We've incentivized the, the emotionality that John talked about earlier. It's all emotion. The wealth effect is all about psychology. And it's pretty insidious. And so we're likely to continue to have a choppy market with, with some bounces. And at some point, we're going to see that first big move down. And like we've said many times here, we think that's going to be a good 10% lower than here, maybe down to 32 to 3,400 on the S&P. And from there, some people would, would likely sell or panic, but that's just when we're likely to get a bounce. But that will, in our view, even though we can't predict the future, that's probably not going to be the end of the bear market. Few people are even talking about this as a bear market yet. We're down only about 20% after this bounce on the S&P. It's not likely that we're, it's going to be so cut and dry and, and neatly packaged as a 20% drop on the S&P and we're, and we're right back to the races again. You know, it's, it's a hugely volatile market. We're seeing wild swings much more frequently than ever before. And it's really emotional. The thing about these vertical bounces that, that come out of emotionality is that you also get the elevated drop into absolute crashes that come from emotionality. And one last thing, Adam, you said something about the market being oversold. It's true that the market was oversold going into Friday's close. A lot of different indicators showed that we were oversold technically, but the biggest crashes in history happen from oversold conditions. So it can be very dangerous to jump into a market that looks oversold saying, well, here it's going to bounce again because it's oversold. Yes, in this market, more often than not, that's been the case. But when a market fails to bounce from oversold, that's when you get an absolute waterfall decline. And right. that could happen. So be careful. So sometimes the bungee cord stretches and snaps back, but sometimes the bungee cord snaps. Absolutely. <laughs> you're yeah, you got to be careful. All right. So you're, 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 thank you. Your answer was, was great underscore to the point I was making about uh, the challenge and the importance of, of, of managing the emotions part of it. And John, I'm, I'm going to give you a chance to weigh in here, but I also just want to underscore for folks, not only do you want to sort of master your own emotions. And again, in my mind, it's all about just putting together the right kind of a framework for you that does a lot of the work for you and the decision-making for you so that on any given day, no matter what your emotions are shouting at you, you've got something that's, you know, process for, for, making the decision or, or maintaining your, your trajectory that is as impartial as possible, right? So that's for you. The point I want to flag, though, is, is folks watching this video and, and hopefully taking our advice here, uh, they're a minority. You know, there's a lot of people in their lives and their families who are not paying this kind of attention. And it's totally understandable. They're regular people. Uh, who will likely be caught by surprise. You talk about when the, the next big leg comes down, Mike, you expect a lot of people to freeze that sort of deer in the head, like panic and whatnot, right? So where I'm going with this is is, is it, it is sort of, it's a responsibility that we who are paying attention should take on to do our best to try to get the other people in our you know social circles who listen to us, who we love and trust us uh, to become aware, take some of these steps, or at least if we know they're not going to, we're at least mentally preparing to be able to step in and help those people when that deer in the headlights moments ar arises. Um, because if, if we're halfway correct and where we think things are, are going to go, 
probability is pretty good that a lot of people you know um, are, are going to get caught unawares. Um, and, and much better, anything you can do in advance of that to help them out or to be a, a resource in the moment, way better than just, you know, letting this unfold, you know, like a two by four to the side of the head. John? Yeah, the only thing I'll add is is the, the cold reality in, in these kinds of scenarios is that not everybody can get out before the damage. It's it's mathematically impossible, um, right? Because if everybody tried to get out, the, the whole you know analogy of a uh, crowded single exit in a burning theater, um, it just can't happen. The the market would fall under under its old own weight if everybody tried to get out at the same time, and you know so so. As much as we want everybody to be um, left unharmed by what's been wrought here, it's just not possible. Um, so, um, but each individual and each, certainly each folks that we have the opportunity to kind of share perspective and data with, uh, we hope that um, they're able to preserve and, and protect their their money so that it can grow in a durable way when when things are much more reasonably valued and, and can can give the kind of forward returns that aren't just flashes in a pan on a statement, but ones you get to keep and live with and spend and uh, do good things with those, those hard-earned assets rather than see, see it go up and then come crashing down. Good, good point. It, you make me think, John, of the, the stat that it's like 80% of people think that they're an above average driver, right? And just mathematically, that can't be accurate, right? And it's sort of like, I think a lot of investors who are along think that, okay, when things really get looking bad, I'll be one of the first 5% out to sell, right? And if 50% of investors are thinking that way, well, mathematically, 50% can't be the first 5%, right? So if you are along this market um, and that's your strategy, I would highly encourage you to, to listen to what John just said there and think about, mm, you know, maybe maybe I should lighten up a little bit or, or, or put some, you know, some things in place to make sure that, you know, even if I'm not paying attention or whatever, you know, if, if, if I'm not in the top 5%, I'm not going to be wiped out by this. And, and um, I, 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 we'd yeah. be remiss if we didn't repeat and remind folks there, there are alternatives now. Cash and, and short-term treasury bonds, which are very safe, uh, are, are yielding something appreciable now, um, unlike much of the last decade when it was zero. So there are alternatives. There are reasonable, if not attractive alternatives to hanging on and, and closing one's eyes and, and praying really hard. Right, right. That, that come with decent returns, you know, not not above inflation, but few things are returning above inflation right now, um, but with an awful lot less risk. Yeah. Um, OK. And last point, I, I want to just ask you, um, ask you, John, and then then we'll close with you, Mike. Um, so uh, I know there's a fair amount of people right now that say, well, OK, guys, if, if what Bill says is going to come to pass, you know, maybe I'll just I'll just sit in cash and I'd love to work with an advisor, you know, who gets all this stuff, but maybe I should wait until the market bottoms and I'll just sort of sit in cash by myself um, until such time. Right. And and honestly, that's not, not a bad strategy. Um, it's certainly many worse things that you could do. Um, but there are elements uh, that when there become opportunities to deploy capital, when the conditions are right, some of them you're going to want to be able to move relatively quickly on. Um, and uh, one of the things I just want people to think about is, is you guys know much better than I kind of from when you talk to a client 
um, to when you the client's actually funded and they're you, you you're ready to deploy their assets. That's a process that's usually measured in weeks, if not months, right? I mean, there's discussions that need to be had. There's paperwork that needs to be filled out. People's lives get in the way. You know, people take vacations. They've got busy times at work. You know, whatever. And even the best intention that hope to get this taken care of in just a week or two, sometimes that can bleed into months, like I said. Um, so there's something to be said for, uh, you know, getting the paperwork, the account set up, getting the paperwork stuff done, maybe some initial funding. Um, and I'm not I'm not saying specifically with you guys, I'm just saying with whatever advisor somebody thinks that they might want to work with, because sometimes those opportunities present themselves. And uh, if you if you aren't ready to move, even if you scramble, by the time you get everything set up and, and all the paperwork's done and the, the transfers have been made and money's been received and all that type of stuff, you could have missed a lot of the window because of all the just the time and, and sadly, just some of the necessary friction, the way that the regulatory system set up to make all this happen. Um, and, and, what I, and what I was saying, is, is it being is it borne out by your guys's experience? Yeah, it is, Adam. Um... But I also I also do want to kind of dispel this notion of perfection. No one, not we, and certainly not uh, self-directed or or clients of an advisor should should hold the standard of perfection. Getting out at the very top, getting out at the very bottom, and doing everything that should never be the goal. It's an impossible goal. Getting it mostly right, uh, and and mostly could be fifty-five or sixty percent right. You know. A strategy that has 60% upside capture gets 60% of the upside of the market, but only gets you know 20% of the downside. That's a pretty darn. I'm just throwing out a hypothetical here. That is a pretty darn good situation. Yeah, it's a pretty darn it's a, good setup. Yeah, and it's a ride that most people can stay on and will do very well over their lifetimes. Right. All to say is you don't have to get it perfectly right. But one of the and and so so yeah, there is a timing element um, of having things. Um, lined up so that when opportunities do present themselves, like for example, we, we were close to uh, putting on a, a tactical long trade recently. It didn't get quite to our target level, but we would have had a, a handful of hours to get that trade on in, in this recent this recent melt up, right? If, if we had gone a little bit lower, we would have had an action point to do something very small and very hedged. But uh, in two days or actually in hours, it was gone in terms of the disciplined action point, right? So so there is that kind of fine level of timing that's important that you don't get to wait weeks or months typically. Um, but just as importantly, um, if, if one is inclined to value working with an advisor, whether it's us or somebody else, we think one of the best values an advisor can provide and certainly what we hold ourselves is up to is helping clients Look at the data and manage emotions around it. Being blunt, you know, if you hear hesitancy in our voices and what we're saying about market valuations and risk, um, when we're likely not to have any of those concerns is when it's going to feel the scariest for most people to want to enter the market. Um, right. When we are completely free of the concerns we have, it's going to feel the scariest it possibly can feel for, for a self-directed investor. And that's where we could probably offer the most value. Just like we think we're offering high value that maybe is not quite realized yet by preaching caution at what we think is a very significant bubble top. The same value we think is going to be able to give people the fortitude to say, this is not the world ending. This is valuations that are at very attractive levels that may be volatile on a short-term basis, 
But over the next several months to years, history would suggest you have very, very strong return potential from these levels. This is the time to put your money in and close your eyes. Uh, not at a bubble top, but, but in a in a in a panic bottom of a market, which we aren't even close to any kind of panic right now. Right, right. It's, it's kind of the old Buffett, you know, uh, sell when others are greedy and buy when others are fearful. You know, when it's a fearful time, people don't want to pull that trigger. And that's the value of an advisor is to say, hey, you know, looking at the numbers and scope of history and our experience as professionals, this actually is a good time to buy, even though the average person is going to say, why would anybody buy in this environment? It feels like the world has just ended. Um, all right, great. Well, so you've done a great job of, of, I think, validating my point, but also just reiterating the value that a good financial advisor brings. And again, folks, that's a big part of what we advise here at Wealthion, which is unless you have a high degree of experience doing this yourself, we think most people, and I include myself in this bucket, are much better off working under the you know professional guidance of a professional financial advisor that gets all the macro risks and issues that Bill and I talked with and that we've been talking about here. And the point I just wanted to make is, you, you know, I don't care who you work with, as long as you, they're good and it's a good fit for you and your goals and needs, that's great. My point is, is you don't even necessarily have to uh, fund your an account with them right now if you just want to sit protectively in cash and, and short-term treasuries or whatnot. Um, but there is value in opening the account, right? Getting all of that friction behind you so that when you deem the time is right to move, you can move. You don't have all that friction ahead of you. Okay. All right, Mike, um, we will leave it here for you to wrap things up for folks. Um, how would you uh, How would you like to uh, advise folks uh, as they head into the following week here, given everything we've talked about? Wow. Um, <clears throat> we saw the big bounce Monday and Tuesday. And today is, is Wednesday, the, the 5th of October, and the market closed flat after being down all day. We could see a little bit further bounce, but this is a pretty logical point for this counter trend bounce to start to peter out. It, it's been a quick bounce up very fast. And I would lighten up into this if I felt like I had too much stocks. You know, I, I would I would reduce stock exposure here. Uh, this is not going to be probably what you're used to in the past few years where it just kind of you know comes back to new highs. I can't rule it out. I don't think that I don't think the risk reward is there though. I mean, even if it does go higher, I just believe that most people will not be able to get out. The turn will be fast and we still remain at exceedingly high valuations. So reduce stocks, definitely. Uh, as, as low as you're comfortable going, I would suggest 30% or less. That's my best recommendation. Secondly, I, I know that we kind of harp on it a lot. Uh, on, on here, but but gold, gold and silver really looks good here. Gold uh, recently did break through its support shelf at 1680 after visiting it many times over the last year. Each time is held. This last time, last week, it went down to about 1622 or so, I think. And then it's it's kind of rocketed up the last few days. It's back at 1720 or so. So it's a great time to buy it if you don't own it. Um, just want to put that out there as one of the few assets worth looking at on the long side, in my opinion. Great. And just to add on to that. So obviously that, that was one of the assets that Bill said, that's what he's one of the few he's owning right now. Um, and if he's correct, that inflation is going to be more stubborn uh, to control for the central banks going forward. Um, well, then that should be very gold positive. So if Bill is right, that should be another vote uh, there for gold. Um, all right, Mike, what, sorry, one last question for you, which, you know, Bill, 
said, look, I'm, I'm a short seller. That's how I made my career. Uh, I uh, have been out of that game for a long time uh, because the market conditions just weren't super favorable, but now I'm back in big time. Now that's, you know, Bill with his extreme expertise in that space. Since it sounds like New Harbor thinks that more likely lower prices are ahead, do you guys plan to take on any shorts at any point in time? Is that a strategy that you would you would deploy in part of the portfolio, or is that something you guys stay away from? I don't think that we have any plans, uh, nor well, I, we don't have any plans now. Nor do I think that we would have plans in the future. The short side in this market has been very, very difficult psychologically. It's very difficult to handle. For most people and you know this market turns on a dime we just had a six percent bounce right that in two days roasted your shorts if you were yeah in them and we're happy to talk to people one-on-one on, -one. on a portfolio level we don't have any plans to do that the only place we ever have historically or do presently use shorts is as hedging positions against other long positions we don't have net shorts nor do we plan to but we will have one-on-one -on -one conversations with people that really want to do it. And, and we can even establish off-model positions for them. We've done it many times. We, we have expertise to try to limit risk um, and put some parameters around that trade. The, the truth is, and, and I can tell you from personal experience, it's extremely difficult. Most people can't do it psychologically. Yeah. That's well, and Bill, Bill echoes that. And Bill, Bill says, not only can they can't do it psychologically, they, 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 they can't do it um, just financially. You know, the, the problem with shorting is, is uh, more often than not, you are, you are wrong for a long time. And then you're very right when the event you're looking for happens. Um, but if you're wrong for too long, your short position gets destroyed. So by the time you're right, you can't even capitalize off it anyway. So it's a, it's definitely a skill that, uh, that, that not many people have developed. And so for the average person, I would say, if you're thinking about shorting, especially if you don't have a lot of experience doing it, either don't or work with a professional financial advisor who can help guide you in that process. All right. Well, one thing, Adam. Up. Yeah, go oh, ahead. Sorry, just one thing. For most people, it's better just to sit in cash, like you just said earlier. And just keep watching programs like this because we're going to be saying when we're more interested in getting along. And we're happy um, to talk to anybody, like I said earlier. But for most people, better than shorting is to move the cash and wait for lower prices and tune into things like this. Okay, well said. All right, folks. Well, look, as we wrap up here, just a couple of quick uh, free resources for you. One, a reminder that we are continuing the process of me writing up my key takeaways from these expert interviews. So if you want to get my thoughts on what I took away from uh, the conversation with Bill, just go to wealthion.com slash Adam's notes. Um, I've been getting a number of emails still for people who are interested in watching the replay videos from the recent Wealthion conference. If you're one of those people and want to buy the replay videos, just go to wealthion.com slash conference. You can hear all about what speakers we had and what the agenda was, but you can buy the replays there. Um, as always, we recommend that people work with a, a professional financial advisor who understands all the macro issues and risks that we've talked about here, both with Bill and with John and Mike. Uh, if you don't have one, we recommend you go out and get one. If you've got a good one, great, stick with them. But if you don't, uh, if you'd like to talk to one of the ones that Wealthion endorses, maybe even John and Mike and the team at New Harbor themselves, just go to Wealthion.com and we'll set up a free, no strings attached, no commitment consultation for you with them. 
And last, uh, if you're enjoying these uh, videos still, would like to see Bill back on the show, other great guests like him, please do me a favor and support this channel by hitting the like button and then clicking on the red subscribe button below, as well as that little bell icon right next to it. And whatever the markets do from here over the next week, John and Mike will be back with here next week, making sense of it for you. John and Mike, guys, thanks for giving us so much of your time. Everybody else, thanks so much for watching. And thank, thank you, you again, Adam. If you'd like to schedule a consultation with one of the financial advisors at New Harbor Financial, simply go to Wealthion.com. These consultations are completely free and there are no strings attached. The good folks at New Harbor will simply answer any questions you have about your investment goals or your portfolio and give you their best advice given their latest market outlook. They're willing to do this because they care about protecting people's wealth. And because Wealthion has connected them with so many thoughtful investors just like you over the past decade. We started doing this because so many people have approached us in frustration, looking for a solution because they're feeling out of alignment or downright ridiculed by the standard financial advisors who have been managing their money. You know the type. The kind that just pushes all of your money into the market, scoffs at the idea of owning gold, and when you bring up concerns about the market's sky-high valuations, they say, don't worry, the market will always take care of you. For many of the reasons discussed in today's video, we think this is one of the most challenging and treacherous times in history for investing. We strongly believe that today's investors are best served working in partnership with a conscientious professional financial advisor who understands the risks in play. Now, we're agnostic which professional advisor you work with, as long as they're good. If you're already working with one, that's fantastic. Stick with them. But if you don't, or are having trouble finding one you respect or trust, then consider talking to John and Mike and the team at New Harbor. Now, for those about to ask, yes, there's a business relationship between Wealthion and New Harbor, which we've put in place to make sure everything is handled according to SEC regulations. All the details on this are clearly provided on the Wealthion.com website. Also, it's important to note that New Harbor is able to work with U.S. citizens, green card holders, and those with existing assets in the USA. But for regulatory reasons, they aren't able to take on non-U.S. clients. All right. With all that said, if you'd like some insight and guidance on how to protect your wealth during this unprecedented time in the markets, go to Wealthion.com to schedule your free consultation with the good folks at New Harbor. Thanks for watching.